Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. So in today's episode, we have a chance to get some perspective and insight from a developer. On the show today, I have Ashima Thomas, who's the CEO of Warrior 9 VR, which is a VR company here in Singapore that design experiences that, I quote, like to change the world. She's also president of the Asia VR Association here in Singapore, whose mandate is to create a community of people interested in VR and AR. Welcome to the show, Ashima. Thank you very much. So, as always, I like to start with how did you get involved or what's your origin story in regards to VR? Right. So, I had my first VR experience in 2015. Well, my first modern VR experience, I like to say, because um, it was with an Oculus DK1. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at that time, we were looking to make something sci-fi related. And we were thinking, could we do animated? Could we do a web series? And we met somebody who was like, I want to show you something. And they showed us a kind of animated forest experience um, in VR. There were trees falling, there were things to look around at. And, you know, looking back, it wasn't the most mind-blowing experience of all time, but the idea of being completely immersed in another world and so taken away from my surroundings was quite mind-blowing to me. And that was really the moment at which I was like, wow, I would love to tell stories in this way. Mm. We talked earlier before the show about your background as a journalist and a storyteller. So trying to tell a story in VR might be a little more challenging than trying to be a storyteller in, let's say, the normal world. Tell me that difference. Yeah, so it is sort of a lot of people think that you can take um, what you know about film, for example, and, and transplant it into a VR environment. And we, you know, kind of thought the same thing starting out because I'm formerly, you know, a journalist and then I used to work in TV and, and video. And so, you know, the concepts and, and all of that of filmmaking applied. Um, but we soon realized that that's not the case. It's like an entirely new narrative medium. And really the beginning of it is starting with the fact that everything all around you is always present. So when you're in VR, you know, there's, there's no way to hide with your editing and your um, you know, cuts. So you have to remember that whatever you're creating you have to think about the entire space. So it's almost like, um, I like to describe it as, as the view of God because you're looking down. <laughs> well <laughs> you know? said, yes. Yeah, so it's like you're, you're looking, you know, when you're designing, you kind of start with looking down on this world and trying to figure out what's going to happen in this world and that there's someone in there who's, who's witnessing it all. So that's really where we start from with our stories. And so as a result, things like the environment are so important. Um, you know, we sort of create experiences where we lead the viewer through them and we want to draw their eye to the right places at the right time. 
Um, and so it's about what tools and techniques can I use to do that? And that's all been things that we've had to develop over time by making stuff and then watching people see our content and looking at how do they actually respond to it and then tweaking it. And so over the last three or four years, that's really the process we've taken to develop our stories. Sounds like quite the iterative, iterative process. Yeah. So related to storytelling, lots of people have coined VR as an empathy machine. What are your thoughts on this claim? Yeah, so I will... I will say one thing, um, and we talk about this a lot when we give presentations and and whatnot, that um, there does seem to be this moment um, when you watch somebody watch a good VR experience, and we've watched more than a thousand people do that, where something, they go into this new kind of realm of wonderment. And it's almost like childlike wonderment where, um, you know, it's sort of like a sensory overload experience, but but people are just taking everything in and it just feels like they're wholly absorbing everything mm. around them. And it's really interesting to watch because, of course, you don't know what they're seeing, but you can watch them from the outside. And I actually think that when it comes to something like empathy... It really is, it's a medium that brings you as close as possible to what, you know, is, is going on. And so I understand the kind of empathy machine label, um, you know, but also you have to remember that the empathy happens if the experience is designed well. Mm. So that's why I don't like to call it an empathy machine, because it's not like you can just churn out experiences and think, oh, everyone is, you know, every experience is going to move somebody. But, you know, the point is that VR has the ability to do that if you really design an experience well and figure out, okay, what is the journey I'm going to lead this person on to get them to this point of empathy? Mm -hmm. Well said. I, I agree. I mean, we can't guarantee automatically by putting on a headset that we're going to change people's emotions or change their mind about said issue or said experience. It's funny, we were talking again earlier about how you had observed someone who, or many people for that matter, who it was their first time putting on a headset and they were going through one of your VR experiences called Oceans We Make. And you probed them afterward and you, you were pleasantly surprised that they weren't talking about the experience itself, but the content that was part of Oceans We Make. Right. So Oceans We Make is a sh really short three minute to five minute experience about ocean pollution. And um, we have demoed it in many different places, um, one of them being the Art Science Museum in Singapore. And actually, the first time we brought it to the public, we didn't really know what people's reactions were going to be. And in this experience, it's, it's like a scuba diving experience. You're going along. It's really beautiful. Um, you know, you're just, the point of being there is just to observe the sea life around you, much like diving in real life, until you start to see bits and pieces of plastic. And then that's when you're, you're asked to actually do something in this experience. 
And for us, I think what was so surprising was um, even though many people had never tried VR before, they took off the headset and came to talk to us. And I was expecting this thing about, oh, VR, it was amazing, or this or that, and I've never done it. But the first thing people would say was, you know, I use so many plastic bags when I go to the supermarket, and I kind of feel like maybe I should stop doing that. And I don't know, it was just so astounding, the number of people who wanted to talk to us about that before they talked to us about you know, the fact that they had just done something in VR. And even, you know, though we've been in this industry for a long time, I think for us that was a really defining moment where we realized that, you know, we need to keep um, looking at the design and the issues that we can bring to this medium and see how we can really try to move people towards action on issues, you know, different to you know I was an impact storyteller in video before that and so of course my point was always to try to change people's minds or behavior about a social issue um, and I suddenly realized that this is an amazing tool to do that so you know we need to leverage that as much as we can. So your company which is growing rapidly has two projects or applications on your website. One is, we've already talked about, Oceans We Make, and the other is The Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Besides those two, what are some VR experiences that you've saw out there that you would sort of dub as your favorite? Yeah, so actually one of the most recent experiences I watched, which for me was completely game-changing in the kind of live action 360, space was traveling while black mm. and this is a felix and paul who of course all their work is amazing but i felt like this was the next level um and it's you know the story of how african americans would come to a particular cafe um during a time when their lives were really difficult day to day and it just tells the story of this place um, and really, I think what was amazing about it is that you get situated in that place and you start to hear their stories in their own words with the surroundings sort of morphing and melding to give you a sense of what they were going through. And it technically kind of took the medium to the next level, I felt, and also just made me feel like, wow, I suddenly feel like I understand that issue so much more than if I had watched a film, which I, you know, I watched Green yep. Book kind of around yep. the same time. Yep. So it was interesting because I was trying to compare those two experiences. And, you know, and, and I really felt moved, like physically, physiologically, I could feel something while watching it. And so for me, that was that was an amazing experience. The other one is um, Arden's Wake. So I don't know if you know that. I, by I haven't heard of that one. Nope. Yeah, so I actually tried it a couple of years ago. Um, we were at the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, it's sort of like a, an animated diorama coming to life. And it's the story of a girl, her dad and her sister, and they live in the sea. And then something dramatic happens, and we have to kind of follow her on this adventure. And what was so amazing about it is that when you're in VR, you can actually go really close to them. So the story kind of, it's kind of ongoing. They're moving around. It's beautifully designed. And then you can go really close to them and just watch 
watch them doing their thing and, and watch what happens. And I think this idea of being able to be near or far mm. um, is very powerful. I mean, it's only VR that can do that for yep. you with a story. Um, so those were two of the most memorable experiences I've done. And I can't say I've tried like so many things, so I'm sure I'm missing out on a no, bunch of stuff. That's great. It d- didn't surprise me that being a storyteller yourself, that, that it was two narratives yes. that you brought up. So I, I've, I've d- dabbled in narratives as well as educational type games. And one thing I've noticed in all the narratives that I've saw or experienced or ruminated on is this tendency not to overstimulate the user. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I, I can remember or recall ever having to use or haptics in that story. Mm-hmm. What's your feeling on the use of haptics when you're trying to get people to, as you talked about, uh, engross themselves in the narrative or story? Yeah. So, you know, we've observed a few different types of things. When we first made a trailer of the Phoenix, which was in 2016, 17, and we kind of showed it to lots of different people, it was, you know, it had this beautiful voiceover and it was seen a few key scenes of what happens. And it's set in space, so it's really majestic. And one of the most interesting pieces of feedback we got was people said, I actually didn't listen to anything the guy said because I was just taking in all the surroundings. And it suddenly hit home to me that, you know, there's so many different types of users um, that we need to cater to. So there are the hardcore gamers who I think you can put them in a headset, give them 5 million instructions, two controllers, movement, you know, 360 movement, six degrees of freedom, and they can just go. But then there's also people who just being in an immersive environment is is very, like, overwhelming to mm. them. And part of it is also age. So, like, the kind of older people like me, so I'm <laughs> I'm 40, and so I consider myself sort of, you know, in that generation where I didn't grow up my whole life with content and having a phone and all of that. So, um you know, they're the ones who, who feel that, okay, I need to take one thing at a time. And then, whereas if you put like a 13-year-old in a headset, they can just go. Yep. So we really try to find the balance between those two things. And I think with, so one of the things that's quite cool about haptics is it doesn't really require you to do anything, but you can still then get some kind of physical sensation of what you're doing. So I actually think if you're talking about interaction, um, haptics is quite a, a good place to start. Mm. Um, you know, again, also depending on who you're catering for. Yeah. So the philosophy we have it at Moria 9 VR is to make things um, accessible to the widest number of people. And so we're always trying to strike the balance. Good answer. VR is albeit for some people slower than they hoped, it is becoming more and more popular. Newer headsets are coming on the market, etc. However, one area that many people believe has had slow adoption rates is education. Any insight to the listeners on why maybe education is taking so long uh, to dive into the deep end when it comes to VR? 
Yeah, so, well, I'm no expert in the education field, but I will say that um, it's kind of an interesting space because a lot of the creators like us um, are not educators, but maybe we've made something that would be good for use in education. But it's like we have to build a bridge now between us and the education space because we need to understand how each other works. Um, so I think that's one thing. And actually one of my dreams is to be able to co-create something, right? So you have educators on board who, who actually put their ideas into what an experience should be like. Um, and of course that is happening in other parts of the world. I think the other side to that is also that the ecosystem is still quite difficult for people who aren't kind of immersed in it to navigate. Mm. So, you know, there's so many different headsets, so many ways of finding your content. Uh, not all content works on all headsets. You know, how do you even assess what's going to be an educational experience or not? Those types of very basic foundational things are still being ironed out. So in a way, I feel that some of that needs to happen for it to be adopted much quicker in schools. Um, and then I think there's also this feeling about investing in technology to make this happen. And of course, I think when it comes to investing in something you don't know a lot about, there's always a lot of um, hesitance about that. Speaking of investing in technology, you recently came back from Oculus Connect 6. What were some of the highlights for you making that trip to North America? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest highlights was that being in Singapore, we have very small VR um, creator community. And um, we read so much about everything going on but we feel very far away from it. So it was amazing to just meet, kind of be in the hotbed of, you know, the companies who are working in the space and hearing about all of the stuff that they're doing. I also think one of the biggest um, surprises, pleasant surprises for me, you know, we've been hearing for a while that the industry is kind of uh, stagnant. You know, there was a lot of hype, the hype then died and nothing really happened after that. But what I heard um, at OC6 was so different. It's, you know, it there was a, so much interesting work happening. And I think one of the, the biggest things that, you know, I met somebody who works in insurance, for example, and she's like, well, I'm part of this innovation team who we've been working for a year, year and a half on bringing AR and VR solutions to our insurance company. And I was like, oh, it's it's so heartening to hear that, you know, companies like insurance have teams dedicated to this space, <laughs> right? <laughs> and she was saying that, you know, that is the case for a lot of big companies and they haven't really gone public with that because they're all trying to create things that have good case studies behind them. But now, finally, those case studies are slowly beginning to come out. And so that was, um, you know, one of the other biggest surprises for me. And then, of course, all the amazing announcements with what Oculus is doing to build the ecosystem. Yep. Yeah, so they announced Oculus for business. Um, they announced, you know, uh, hand tracking for the Quest. That's mm -hmm. very exciting. Sadly, but not Oculus for education yet. No, not a, yet. That was a surprise for me. I thought, 
please like get yeah. that get that industry or get that genre going yeah uh let's let's end by talking about warrior 9 vr and what your goals and aspirations and you know sadly unlike a giant uh insurance company you probably don't have like you know many arms of private secretive research and development <laughs> but yeah. that said you know what are, what are you working on sort of in the future for VR? Yeah. So, you know, for us, we kind of work with three things. One is that um, we really want to bring high quality experiences to people that allow them to feel the wonder of VR. The second thing is we want to make our content as accessible as possible to everybody. And, um, you know, and then the third thing is that we always want to put some meaning into the work that we do besides entertaining people. Of course, you know, we want them to be entertained, but, um, you know, with some meaning behind it. And so to that end, you know, we create a lot of our own content like Oceans we make and we have a few other ocean related experiences, one for the Oculus Go, which we're just working on now, um, one on the iPad. So that's an AR experience. Um, and of course the Phoenix. So, you know, we bring those three kind of missions to, to our own work, but then our other thing is we do commission projects as well. And so we still focus on the same things, but really our point is to be able to really bring what VR is good for to any kind of project that we do. Um, and, you know, part of that is starting with story. So that's where we always start with all of our experiences. Well, even well-designed, you know, games, the good ones anyway, have some sort of narrative as part of the gameplay. And so, you know, for you coming from a journalist slash storytelling background, you know, that's, to my, in my opinion, that it's the story that drives anything, whether it's an educational experience, whether it's uh, a narrative or a game, etc. And so, uh, you know, I'm very excited for your company because I, I think that's the foundation that anything sort of in VR needs to start with. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, of course, there are some amazing training apps out there, um, you know, and that are able to take you to places you can't go and have very practical applications. And, you know, and I think that's actually a really viable industry right now. Um, but, you know, there has to be space also for the the stories and, mm -hmm. and yeah, and the entertainment with meaning. Yes, yeah. well said. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us or me today. Uh, for our listeners, is there a best place or venue if they had questions or just wanted to see some of your work that they could go to after they listen to this podcast? Yeah, so um, you can find Warrior 9 at warrior9vr.com and you can find The Phoenix at thephoenixvr.com and of course you can find me on LinkedIn and also on Facebook and then the Asia VR Association uh, is on meetup.com and it's on Facebook. There's a Facebook group as well. Awesome. So thank you, Ashima Thomas. Thank you.